0: Hey everyone and welcome to Digital Discourse Today. Today's episode is a little bit different. We reached out to the hosts of the Square Brackets podcast, Jacques Rousseau and Greg Andrews, and asked if they'd be interested in a crossover episode. Greg and Jacques recently did a four-part series on free speech, and you can find links to the audio of those conversations in the video description. What we are bringing you now is part four of that series. Even though this is the final installment, you don't have to listen to parts one one, two, three first to enjoy this one. Mind you, you won't regret going back to check them out at some point. Anyway, without further ado, I give you the guys from Square Brackets, Rick Andrews and Jacques So, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to wrap up for the moment our conversation on free speech because there are always going to be more examples of that, and of its implications and violations and so forth to talk about in the future, but uh, we want to move on to other topics too. <laughs> so we're going to wrap, wrap it up for now and and summarize some of the things we've said, and apologies if we end up repeating a few things because now it has been four weeks in a row that we've been yeah. addressing this thing in general, but with things we've covered so far, I mean what would you say is, is in a sense a, a big take home thing that we want to have listeners focus on?
1: I think the main message is around personal responsibility that the debate around free speech is not something we can use as a as a bat to beat one another up in public discourse, but it is a call to action for those who regard these values as personally important. That, and we cannot absolve personal responsibility and look to state actors or agencies to protect free speech. The, these principles are enlivened by our
0: participation. Mm. Now, to endorse that, that wholeheartedly and add a, and add a second thing, which is, uh, besides encouraging people to take responsibility and not rely on the law and the courts, although they can, of course, and Mm. should do that too, we're also trying to say that there is an instrumental value in free speech, a pragmatic value in free speech, that we don't uh, sympathize or subscribe to the perspective that it is an absolute good in itself. We think it serves Mm. a purpose, and therefore we are open to possibilities of that purpose being served by sometimes limiting speech mm-hmm. right so i think that's perhaps the, the summary of the two most important things i'm, a, I'm going to kick off with an, with an example of the difficult tension between respecting free speech and and accepting that it can have bad consequences and and the difficulty of sometimes having to inhibit it for the sake of that greater good perhaps mm-hmm. and i mean you were to know so you can tell me if we did it right I mean, I don't even that, so kind of <laughs> answering my own question. But, I mean, you might recall in 2016, I yeah. was uh, at the University of Cape Town, or on the University of Cape Town's academic freedom committee, mm. and we had invited Fleming Rose, who published those Danish cartoons, mm. in the Jyllands Posten, uh, he was cultural editor at the time, and he published images that eventually caused, or eventually were part of the causal chain that led to lots of, riots and discontent, and, and depending on how you measure these things, and causality, perhaps even some fatalities, and...
1: The, the images were, were
0: deemed as, as,
1: as offensive to Muslim readers.
0: Yeah, because many, many Muslims hold the hold view that it is uh, impermissible to have depictions of the Prophet, and these were depictions of the Prophet which was solicited for an issue of the magazine that asked for what we cannot show. It asks for responses mm. to the question of taboo and representation mm. of Muhammad. And um, and we invited him because, uh, at least to the committee's mind, there were lots of misrepresentations about the situation, that it served a valuable free speech function, and that religious sensibilities, in a sense, weren't enough to trump that. And, and we also thought he had been misrepresented in the sense that I don't think a fair reading justifies any claims of Islamophobia or something mm. like that. But now remember the context, and of course that merits far more discussion than we're giving it now, I mean those nuances. But remember the context, we're dealing with a situation in which the universities were in some parts of the country on fire, but they were all tense, mm. and people were very riled up. And so bringing a person into that situation ran the risk of massively inflaming tensions. So in the end I was on TV and the radio trying to defend this thing, and uh, to cut the long story short, in the end, uh, we were asked to rescind the invitation. We refused to do so. Mm-hmm. And then we were instructed by the university executive. Uh, that, or the university executive, in a sense, decided to uninvite him on our behalf. Right. So, that, so that's the kind of no mm-hmm. platforming discussion. You were overruled. Yeah, that's precisely. We so the initial
1: request was from the
0: university when you said no, they just said, well, tough, we're not going to Precisely, you precisely. Now, my bind here, and I, I've written some, a, a few pieces on this, um, if you go to synapses.ca, my website, you can read a bit about what I said at the time, um, and the concern is, or the issue is, I think it's the wrong decision because of the kind of heckler's veto thing. You don't want the people who are the most angry to dictate speech. Yeah. But at the same time, I care about my canvas, yeah. and if there is a real risk yeah. of violence or injuries or something like that, and therefore, if we have to spend hundreds of thousands of rands on security, I start thinking, I don't like violations of free speech, but I also don't like money to be yeah. spent. And you, I mean, I'm going to say the word wasted, people are going to hate me for saying that. Say, well, <laughs> it's not wasted if it defends free speech. Right. But that's part of my point about the balancing yes. of interests. So there, I thought it would be sufficient to say, for the executive to say, we're uninviting, and we regret having done so, or having okay. to do so, right. because we think it's wrong, right. and we blame you for threatening us. We blame the hecklers. The hecklers. Yes. So, so you can make both points yep. at the same time. Instead, we've got a statement which said which was capitulating, right. in a sense. So they actually didn't make that point. No, they simply said, on what grounds? There was uh, there was a a, a largely unpersuasive defence of of how this was a violation, perhaps a violation of some constitutional kind of imperatives that to, to perhaps contribute to this kind of dissent and discord at the university. Gosh. And it was very tenuous, yeah. the argument, and people can go read that in, in UCT's archives if you like, and I might have linked to it as well. Um, so it didn't, in a sense, grapple with the nexus problem, where here we would have wanted to highlight the fact that free speech was being dealt a blow. Yes. And we understand that, despite that, yeah. we're going to have to capitulate. Through no intention or desire of our own. Right.
1: And there was was there a real danger of violence breaking out? Was that was that clearly some some level of intelligence received?
0: I was told that there was, right. but I've got no way of verifying this. Yeah. The problem is, is as you'd know from your background in in the religious communities, the the Cape. Muslim community is by and large. I mean, forgetting the years and things like that, by and large, there's very little of that um, yeah. mistrust and, and um, antagonism yeah. that these issues raise in the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. again, understandably, one might have wanted to not threaten that that threatened harmony. I mean, it's not even fragile, but that that harmony or understanding that currently exists. Right. Yeah. And so, and so your your feeling
1: is that you regretted the university decision. To disinvite Fleming Rose. Yet I understood it. Yeah. And was there any opportunity for the university to maybe couch that better? Did they even offer the opportunity for you and the others on the committee to give an alternative way of around it, or did they simply shut it down?
0: No, we, we were. Various options were discussed, like a like a video right. a video feed in or something like that. Uh, All of these things felt to us uh, insulting in a sense. Mm. So you either take that brave and, and, and perhaps bad step of disinviting, mm. or you take the other step of, of pushing through with the whole thing. And of course the, the problem here is that politically, hands were bound mm. in that you don't want to do what I said one should do, which is blame the hecklers, because students were very sensitized Mm. to being blamed for things right so the response there would have been oh are you calling us violent yeah kind of thing
1: yeah
0: so it's a mess and I'm, I'm trying to get listeners to, to understand that these decisions are complicated mm. yeah and also <coughs> perhaps it's also
1: worth putting in in context does the what happened with flaming rose speak to a pattern of of behavior on the part of UCT, for instance, and perhaps even other institutions in the country, where these decisions keep on taking place and amount to a pattern of essentially self-censorship, censorship, or, or yeah, instead, or was it an isolated instance? One can simply let go of and say, well, you win some, you lose
0: some. See, so unfortunately, I think that's the former. In the sense, that this is becoming quite normalised. Yeah. This idea that if I don't like somebody, I can shut them down or drown their speech out, not even let it happen. So this mm-hmm. idea of no platforming has become quite kind of common. Mm. And the problem is that the new normal uh, has been established. The, the kind of threshold or the bar. The more these victories take place, mm. the lower that becomes. So we, unfortunately what we're trying to do is to reconcile the reality that some people don't need to be heard because they're just actually uninteresting or mm. are saying something we don't need to hear yet another racist expression or something like that mm. with this uh, with this value of free speech and, and I don't want to arbitrate that and neither do you so the mature response of mm. course is to allow the speech that you don't like and have mm. competing speech next door to, to counter it with other speech but instead we're doing the shutting down thing and, mm. and, and, and as that that's going to become more and more chilling. People yeah. are going to be afraid to say things. So many, I mean, Ace, um, Ace Shule, the book about Es Macha the premier of the, the Free State, yeah. the Peter-Louis Maibo book, so the University of Free State recently also cancelled the launch of this book. Is that are me? kidding me? Yeah. I, I didn't hear. Oh, really? So the Cape Town launch was initially cancelled yes. by Exclusive and then oh. moved uh, from the book launch to oh. somewhere, I've forgotten where, and so it was moved to the book launch from the waterfront, I think. Yeah. And then the, the irony is that the current vice chancellor of the University of Free State was one of my deputy vice chancellors, the Fleming Rose there, and they've <laughs> recently cited security concerns for not yeah. letting Peter Louis Meyerberg speak there. So the a sense, the gambit is being repeated. Wow. But here, yeah. and there was, there was no violence at the Cape Town launch, and yeah. there reason to fear violence at the yeah. UFS launch.
1: Yeah. Ah. There, it, it was, there was a risk. I remember. I wonder if if this relates to on maybe from the other side of the, uh, uh, the political divide um, you might help me remember the name of the particular chap he was a he is he's a vitriolic uh, gay bashing American pastor who was invited by several conservative Christian congregations here in South Africa you remember that yes and there was a petition to shut down his Invitations by eventually even petitioning the South African government to not grant him a visa and Australia did ban him Mm, and Australia banned him as well and at the time there was a massive um you know backlash from the religious right saying this amounts to the squashing of free speech this person should be allowed it's our religious freedom as well that's being impinged upon Um, um Stephen Anderson Stephen Anderson that's the one um I, mean, I, I in some I, I feel that given what he has been on record as saying the kind of inflammatory remarks he's made about um, gay and lesbian people I felt it was justified for people to not want him to come to the country but I wondered if it was going a step too far to ban the individual entirely that maybe That maybe that kind of thing... But I'm not sure if I'm right on that. I wondered if it was justifiable. Um, And I I must admit, I feel like it was, Mm -hmm. but I don't have a good reason. I wouldn't want him to come to the country. Yeah, sure. And I certainly would want to make it hard for him to be speaking in a public forum in this country, given... The far more sensitive situation uh, L, uh, uh, gay and lesbian people live in uh, under the, in this country, but, but refusing a visa seems,
0: I don't know, is that, is that too far? See, here's the, here's the dilemma that your, your example poses, which I don't think that, the, that home affairs grappled with in, in that mm. kind of case. I think that you are onto a good thing in saying that it it could be understandable to not provide a visa because, on this principle, and I always like doing things by principle, not by case, right? Yeah. So in this case, the principle being violated is that a person, person X, is violating the constitution of the country he wants to visit, she wants to visit. They're saying things that are in violation of Uh, our norms and values, whatever they are. Okay. Okay, so you're expressing this bigotry, and, and it is something which is... Potentially considered hate speech, Yeah, but the reason why he should have been granted a visa in yeah. this case is because we have not penalized or imprisoned Errol Naidu for oh, doing course. the same thing. Oh, of course. Right? So on the grounds of consistency, and for listeners who don't know, Errol Naidu is the leader of a religious movement based in Cape Town who repeatedly makes homophobic yeah. utterances. Many church people make homophobic utterances. Right. And none of them are disciplined or chastised. So if you're going to let them get a free pass, yeah. You have to let Anderson in, yeah. I think. And,
1: and by the same token, there are many like Anderson who might not be coming to this country for standing in a pulpit, but end up doing so. Yes. And they don't. They haven't. They haven't expressed the intention to do so. Yeah. And because no one knows their intention, they're given a visa. So maybe, yeah. And the huh.
0: concern. The concern with this line of thought we're talking about. <coughs> is that at the end of the road you end up with kind of ideological purity tests. Right. To so you can make the yeah. list even longer of what so rather let them in yes. and then we, as I say counter that speech and yeah. and boycott them in a sense, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And and you should if you are in this religious example, if you're a religious person, you demand accountability from that church and you say, right. I'm gonna stop supporting you, yep. I'm going to stop coming to you and I'm going to as a religious person I'm going to denounce you Mm. to kingdom come, Mm. you know, and and encourage all people of faith to go to other churches because you've demonstrated that you are, you know, reprehensible. So we we, were, and then back to your point about personal responsibility, our reactions to these cases don't encourage that. They encourage avoiding the issue. Right. Right. And we become more and more infanticized.
1: Yeah. I wondered some some part of me wondered if the reaction of Home Affairs in the, the, the visa thing for Anderson might have been a, a some sort of compensation for the fact the scandal that was caused when uh, the Dalai Lama was refused entry. Yeah. Um, and I mean that caused that was not a free speech issue. Well, actually, it kind of was, wasn't it? it I mean, wasn't. basically, the government was the pressure was put on the South South African government by the Chinese. Um, to refuse to give the Dalai Lama a platform to speak for Tibetan freedom in this country. Yes. So yeah, it's a, a, another classic instance of the government overstepping its um, principle and its mandate.
0: Although that, that case, of course, is more complicated by the fact that political pressure was brought to bear by China and, and we... Um, I mean, Dalai Lama doesn't have a have a... Terrible track record in terms of abusing China. I mean, he's quite restrained, actually, which yeah. is why the Tibetans are quite upset with him in, in many cases. Right, and they consider him a sellout. Right. So I don't think he would have done that. The point is that uh, it's a loss of face, a face, and mm-hmm. and also perhaps even at that point we knew that we might need China to buy Eskom or something like that. <laughs> you know, so you yeah, you don't want exactly. to piss them off. Right. And we can get to that topic in a future episode. The whole, mm-hmm. the whole I mean, state capture is not over. People being right. <laughs> captured by. By others. <laughs> but um, back to the, the thing we're we're talking about the I mean on the question of the of the law and how, and the disproportionate reactions to insiders like Errol Naidoo and, yeah. and, and Anderson the same sort of thing uh, might be true about racist speech and I see a lot of people complaining on Twitter that that we ignore racist speech by by black people and prosecuted vigorously by white people, and mm. dear ex-Premier Zilla is going off on from one of her Twitter benders at the moment about, <laughs> about how nobody talks about black privilege or anything about white privilege. Hashtag so, black privilege. <laughs> yeah. So that's, a, that's arguably in the same camp of, of inconsistencies. Mm. But <clears throat> again, these things aren't solved by slogans and, 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 and Twitter norms. They're far less influential than people might think. Mm. But the law, we've alluded to it before, let's get into it a bit more detail. Yeah. The law is weirdly inconsistent or unhelpful here. So we've got this Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act. Yes. Papuda. And Papuda is what the Equality Court relies on to make its judgments, as in the cases like the, the Shelley Garland case, which we'll outline in just a moment. But they're words that could construed to to demonstrate a clear intention to be hurtful, to be harmful, to incite harm, propagate or promote hatred. And section 12 that are prohibited is very broad. It's race, gender, sex, Mm -hmm. uh, marital status, colour, sexual orientation, etc. Even something as broad as undermines human dignity, which like, what what does that mean? And the Bill of Rights speaks about advocacy of hatred that also constitutes incitement, so a much stronger bar. It's much more difficult to meet that threshold. So one of our laws allows be- it to because it's actually inciting to a particular behaviour, well, a y- violent yeah. behaviour. Yeah. Not, yeah, not just it's not just advocacy. Right. It also is an incitement to cause harm. So I'm not, not yeah. just saying, yeah, yeah. "You are a, a worthless person." I'm saying you're a worthless person who doesn't deserve to live mm. or who doesn't deserve power and to, I would, to I wish people.
1: someone would kill you.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I mean there are nutters of all sorts mm. who might be encouraged to. Follow if you were an influential, thought leader or, yeah. or a religious cult leader or whatever it might be. Maybe there are another or two out there who would yeah. do it. And um, so, the, adve- the application of Papuda has led us also I think down the path of this lowest common denominator approach towards hate speech, right. like the Shelley Garland case. Do you recall? Yeah, the, I remember. The the spoof. Uh, column um, by was it Maurice Root in the end um, mm-hmm. under the pen name Shelley Garland, which advocated that white people should be removed of, of their voting privileges, voting right. privilege should be stripped from them. Right. So it was this kind of bleeding heart kind of social justice warrior equality argument thing, and the the game was you know is this going to get published? Are people going to fall for it? Are they going to enthusiastically endorse it like mm-hmm. hey here's how we do? racial reconciliation, like for a few years yeah. you disenfranchised, you've ruled the roost for so long. Yeah, you can afford to let go from it. Yeah, little. and then the editor has to resign because mm-hmm. she's been roundly pilloried in the press and I mean, I think she did make mistakes yeah. but I think that that's the kind of thing which you read, even yeah. if you believe that Cherry Garden is real, you read and say Meh, that's an opinion, stupid one. Exactly. And you leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, there was certainly
1: no incitement. I yeah. mean, and, and even if there was, in in a very loose sense, how? Yeah. How would you? How would that be? You would. She's. To my mind, incitement is a, a form of words that encourages the population at large, not an organised body by any means, but potentially an individual or groups of individual to cause harm. That article was essentially proposing something as a statutory norm yeah. to be implemented. On what good earth would that be
0: possible? Yeah.
1: that's—it's just ridiculous to think that that would be insightful, you might I, be
0: inciting. Yeah, but but notice that. Um, so that wasn't. No, uh, uh, it wasn't inciting <clears> or <throat> incite, insightful, oh, insightful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that, that the press ombudsman declared that as hate speech. Yes. Not, yeah. Ridiculous. Not one of these laws, but but Penny Sparrow. Uh, was declared hate speech for uh, mm. forgotten was it monkeys? Uh, what did oh, she say I like, mean apes. Yeah, monkeys. Uh, I think it was monkeys. Yeah. 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 So she spoke about uh, a lot of black South Africans or right. black tourists on on a beach and, and referred to them as monkeys, yeah. and that was confer- uh, that was um, convicted as as hate speech by the Equality right. Court. Yeah. And so I mean, so that that's in a sense a more tricky one because she, so that's reprehensible and mm. and and hurtful language and so forth. Mm. It's certainly not inciting violence, so it shouldn't no. be a, a bill of rights issue. No. But is that the kind of thing that should be illegal? Yeah. Is, is for me not at all clear. I think it shouldn't be illegal. Yeah. I,
1: I think it depends. If we, if there was a, if there was a clearer sense of the particular punishments that might be levied in cases like this, mm. then it would be easier. But to my, my understanding is that it is not clear what punishments would be appropriate for the crime yeah. and so that's left up to the courts and unfortunately by the time well, one of the things the courts seldom take into consideration okay. is the the recriminations that a person might suffer as a result of media exposure and so i mean i, I can't remember what sparrow's uh, sentence was
0: but It's many hundreds of thousands, thousands of, brands. of brands, yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course there were financial consequences beyond that. Right, right and exactly. They a lot of business. And exactly. Being threatened. And,
1: and surely she was punished more than, way more than she deserved for a throwaway comment.
0: But more importantly she was perhaps more uh, violently punished than a Villabi Kumar, oh, okay. mm, who, it took a lot longer for that work to work its way through the courts, but he eventually was also convicted of hate speech yeah. But what he did, and also by the Equality Court, and not, yeah. not, <clears throat> not any other, but his statement was uh, calling for the country to be cleansed of white people. Right, which now, is very it? inciting. <laughs> and that's, that's <laughs> <Yes>. far closer.
1: <laughs> much, much more dangerous.
0: Yeah. So, so we, 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 I think, deal with these things disproportionately, and, mm-hmm. and the people paying for a penny sparrow's blood all those consequences we mentioned a moment ago would say, oh, that's what she deserves, right? Mm. So there's this mob mentality that's encouraged. Mm. You're right about the lack of clarity with regard to sentence and the subjectivity of that. Mm. But also, when I said I wouldn't want these things to be illegal, going back to one of our earlier conversations on free speech, I understand why it's illegal, and right now I can understand it being illegal because of a temporary uh, plaster we need to put on these things until they go away or until we can cope with them in a more... Mm. um, in a more robust manner or something. Well, it's not so fresh, you know, the words mm. of apartheid and all that. And that might be fresh for far too long, and, and a situation of chilling speech becomes normalized, and we don't want that either.
1: Is it... I, one of the things I wondered about, is it possible for the courts to use the issue of um, hate speech as a way to develop start developing an intentional framework around a restorative justice rather than a punitive justice system because it seems to me that these are not crimes that require immediate recompense to to a victim yeah. in the case of a murder or theft there is a clear victim and somebody that needs substantial recompense even if all that is is a sense of vengeance Right. but in these cases it's such a slippery um, who is the victim, who's actually been hurt, and very often the punishment that is meted out ends up creating more hurt and more confusion mm-hmm. and does not aid the project of national reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And so th- the reason for the law having been created in the first place arguably must be national reconciliation, bringing us together, helping us understand the damaging effects of hate speech and, and the like. For me then it, it, it's a clear case that this act the, or it, the acts regulating free speech and hate speech should be focused on restorative justice mm. and it wouldn't be difficult to implement if someone you can easily get to the point of convicting someone if what they say you can have two categories one that is about inciting to violence but another category that that, that is not inciting at all, but it's still hurtful, mm-hmm. and you can implement restorative, restorative processes. So instead of a fine, the person must um, volunteer at an organisation that works with children, or uh, not children. So never children. <laughs> Sorry, scratch that. But but work with an organisation that works with perhaps um, people living on the streets or. Um, a feeding scheme or something, something yeah. like that. Any form of exposure that gets the person out of their comfort zone and they have to have that signed off from you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that's what we do with, with many disciplinary offences at the university. Right. And there's a certain number of community service hours. And in negotiation, in a sense, you can decide what's the best fit. Yeah. Where are you are going to do most good? And as you're pointing out or alluding to where you can... Um, Perhaps also find the most personal value right. and, and and develop an understanding of your fellow South Africans. I mean that's also good sort of mine. I don't think that you're going to change the Penny Sparrow's mind by working no. with a huge fine. She's going to just be resentful. And the second thing is that in a country which we know to have various corrupt systems, yeah, I also think that citizens should be mindful of the fact. Where that money goes, and mm. so if the money we knew was going to go into into underprivileged schools or something like that, mm. then we might be more supportive of the huge fine. Right? Yeah. But here it might just go into some dodgy you know, slash. Fine it form. ends up it ends up
1: reinforcing the the ideologies of those who are inclined to hate speech, because you know, Pe- Pe- Penny Sparrow, for instance, is now you know
0: seen as a martyr. Yeah, or, or or even for for our alt right leading friends, and not necessarily even a martyr, uh, because because they might also say, we don't like what she said, but she, like we demand that she has the right to say it, a a flag wear a flag waver of, of yeah. this of the sacred cause in right. a sense. But the problem is that the more the world gets kind of democratized and 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 we have this kind of humanistic background understanding of equality and democracy and liberty and all that. It's more and more going to get distilled that only the most hateful things are the ones that get this kind of limelight. So your Mm. flag wavers of Mm. free speech are, I think, organically going to become more and more arseholic. Right. (laughs) Right. You don't want these people to be examples of of that cause, yet they might be the only ones available. Right. Yeah. But on the court thing that kind of system of community service punishments or something like that i mean of course it's going to be difficult to find a good scale of punishment appropriate ones mm. we're really just saying that that's or you're really saying that the framework for thinking about it must go away mm. from retributive yeah towards something that is
1: restorative yeah and it doesn't even need to be a community service i i'm not a big fan of community service okay. honestly because i think if you take someone who is not inclined to offer themselves in service they're not going to be able to contribute. But you can create programs, in the same way that we create diversion programs for people who commit minor offenses. And those diversion programs are designed to steer them away from becoming institutionalized within a criminal justice system. So you wanna create programs like uh, life skills programs for students who um, are regularly being picked up for drunk and disorderly behavior. So instead of sending them to a community service agency, they go and attend a project maybe run by a youth organization that s- provides life skills to young people in terms of well what does it mean to be a mature adult what does it take what are the life skills you need to yeah. know um, and it's amazingly beneficial that these diversion programs work in for minor crimes and at-risk y- at youth they can just as easily be adapted for individuals who have run afoul of our values around what we deem hateful in public discourse, right, and this and and they may even be saleable as opportunities for people at institutions that are, for instance, not just crimes that are um, brought to equality court, but in a in a company where yeah. where there may be a mediation call because one staff member has been going off. Another staff member, and it's descended into a racist row. That kind of thing is classically uh, able to be held and facilitated by programs like this, and is being done anyway. Mm. So it seems to me that it, it would be far more valuable for the courts to to direct their attentions towards that kind of more constructive way of dealing with the offence, um, because you re- it, it implicitly regards the offender as redeemable. Right, um, and, and what's the point of free speech or prescriptions against hurtful speech if we don't also fundamentally value the redeemability of other people and, yeah. we have free speech because I believe I can convince others of my good ideas therefore any affront to that free speech or any attack against it or any misuse of it has to be treated and as a as a social failure not a criminal failure it is regarding this human being could be better and so I will use this free speech opportunity to redeem
0: him yeah at some point I think we would want to give up on a yeah. person but I think that, that that's a beautiful set of suggestions you made there implies that we give up too soon and that our systems are premised on a giving up, rather than on any chance of finding value. And I think that's a fantastic place to leave this series for now. And we are really, as as a concluding message, are saying that we must be careful of giving up on our humanity and on our relations by deferring all of these difficult questions to things like institutions and laws and rather think about what their purpose is, as -hmm. you say, Uh, redistributive sort of justice and, and creating ways to make conversations and creating ways in which we can help ourselves and each other become better people. Absolutely.